Hello, one and all, and welcome to the podcast we call The Fantastical with myself, Stephen Spaum. In the podcast, where I invite my guests to come on and talk to me all about their musical tastes, their memories, their experiences, and they get to create their fancy festivals, which I have christened Fantastivals. I hope everyone is doing well in these times. There's some crazy times, some scary stuff going on in the world. I hope this podcast finds you all well. And before we start this one, just want to say a massive thank you to Matt from the amazing Apollo Junction, who was my guest in the last episode of the Fantastical Podcast. And don't forget, on the Friday, the 20th of October, they bring out their long-awaited third album, Here We Are, along with the Heavy Norfolk, also release their amazing second album, Delta Shakedown. So Friday, the 20th of October, going to be a massive day for new release albums. So that was 141. I'm delighted that we're on to 142 now of the Fantastical Podcast. And this week, I'm delighted to introduce a man of many talents, singer, songwriter, psychologist, Eggman, author. You may know him from the Brew Radleys. You may not do. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Dr. Suss. <laughs> Hello. Thank you for that wonderful intro. Had to be done. And I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. And before we talk music, I think I always like to talk about mental health. It's very apt considering mm. mental health has been this week. Always like to check in with my guests. So, mate, how are you? I'm actually good. Yeah, no, I'm I'm actually okay at the moment. Um, yeah, I'm kind of I feel very fulfilled at this kind of stage in my life, and um, so at the moment I'm I'm really good. I'm doing a lot of things that that interest me. I've just been out and done my solo tour, which was about music, comedy, mental health, and so that was um, that was fantastic. So I'm actually feeling quite kind of. Uh, fulfilled really yeah I'm, I'm in a good place it's great to hear so let me take you back to talk about kind of your early music memories what what are your yeah. earliest musical memories what do you remember about music from your childhood the the thing about music for me in my childhood was really the influences of the, the radio um, my family wasn't big on music we didn't um mainly i think through money you know my, my family my, my dad and mum didn't own a lot of albums the the one of the earliest influences on me hearing it for the first time was this kind of covers album of of beatles and simon and garfunkel and that's kind of i think that's provided the blueprint as i got older it was quite a sort of disparate group of influences you know my brother one my eldest brother was kind of into kind of electronica so he would listen to Jean-Michel Jarre my other brother was a punk so there were punk influences there he used to love the Stranglers and 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 really the radio was the big thing you know the the, the huge effort so so when I really started getting into music for myself around the age of sort of 10 it was it was the radio and it was the charts that were the big big thing for me so so you know anything from that point on really you know Blondie kind of um Depeche Mode, Wham, just, just the whole Duran Duran, the pop world, you know, that was my big sort of introduction, which is why I do, you know, I've always loved pop music. And what was your introduction to kind of getting involved in music? Was there a seminal moment where you thought, yeah, I want to be involved in music or was it just a gradual thing that kind of escalated? <laughs> It, it was the, the the seminal moment, really. I mean, I don't remember it, but I remember the one thing was Top of the Pops, you know, seeing Top of the Pops sort of every week. It was like a big event that you would gather around to watch. And I remember just thinking, that's what I want to do. You know, that that's the thing that I want to do. And, and then that's what grabbed me. And then I think I don't think there was there was anything else in my mind that that's what I was going to do. You know, throughout the 80s, we would sort of start to pick up guitars and, and so therefore started to listen to more 
guitar music so you know we then really got into the smiths and and kind of jesus and mary chain and a lot of mid-80s bands and c86 bands and then that was kind of the step off into actually doing it around 1988 was probably when we did our first gig you know when we were about 17 18 and how did the boo radleys come to be then how did how did you form the first i guess incarnation of the boo radleys was it a bunch of mates mm. or did you meet people through other people in the scene how did you how did you get together we literally we were in school together you know the, we, we were in school together um so me and martin were sort of one group and then tim and a couple of other mates were in a different group and we would play gigs we would go and see them play and we would play and then finally we asked tim to sort of play bass for us and that was it really the three of us have been a unit since we're a sort of musical unit we we sort of tried a lot of different drummers until we found rob who was perfect and then that was it you know we were always set as that as that unit really until we until we split up and were you surprised by i guess from obviously forming in 1988 it wasn't too long until mm. you actually get signed and release like your debut album i guess looking mm. back the elegance of youth can kind of pull you through a lot were you surprised how quickly it took you to get a deal and get your first album out i don't know to be honest looking back you know, it's it's like they always say, you know, overnight successes take a long time. So I think it probably was quite quick. But, we, you know, I think we were always impatient. You know, we were always impatient for the next stage to come along. So I, I think at the time, I don't think we thought it was quick. But looking back, it was, you know, we, we'd only done maybe a dozen gigs before we got signed. But I think, you know, it was always the quality of the songs uh, was always there. Um, so it was a kind of, it was a fairly quick progression onto sort of, onto a, what we would call a kind of proper label, you know, where we were signed to, to Rough Trade. But then, you know, I don't think we were particularly surprised by it because we did always have a lot of kind of ridiculous self-belief. You know, there was a huge amount of, which which I think you need, you know, I think any, any band to get anywhere needs that kind of just irrational self-belief, you know, that when, when other people kind of give up and go back to normal jobs, we were just like irrationally saying, no, we're not, we're not stopping this, you know, this is what we do. And, and, um, so that was hugely helpful. So it was, it was quite, uh, it, it was, was quite quick, but it didn't take us by surprise because we expected it, you know. And in third album, Giant Steps, which came out in mm. 93, is actually mm. 30 years old now. I mean, you must mm. look back on that period and go, well, it must feel like yesterday, I'm presuming, or not feel like that long ago. It really does. I mean, it is very, very strange how time goes, you know, and, and yeah, 30 years is just ridiculous. You know, we had uh, 10 years after it had gone, we had a bit of a kind of retrospective and 10 years felt like a long time. But 30 years is just bizarre, you know, absolutely bizarre. It does. It does feel very fresh. I, I don't know what it says about the pop world that actually, you know, I think that the pop world has kind of stalled or that certainly the, the music world has kind of stalled because because that doesn't, it doesn't sound old. You know, if, if, if we, you know, if we were kind of making, they say in 1993 when Giant Steps was released, if we look back to a record that was 30 years old, back to 1963, that record would sound old. It would sound very different. But, you know, things have kind of, I think the pace of advancement in sort of popular music has kind of slowed down, really. When I was reading up on Giant Steps, I read a fact mm. that it was, it was voted as the second best album of the year by The Enemy in mm. 1993. Mm. I mean, that, that's, that's mm. a big, at that point when Enemy was so influential, that's a very big, um, mm. big statement to have behind you. 
It was it was a timing thing, really. I mean, I think you know that album was released. I don't know. I think it was August '93. So I think it was sort of. I think it had been reviewed well, and I think there was a groundswell uh, about it. And I think it was one of those things that people nobody disliked. You know, I think that's one of the mm. things with these albums of the year thing. It's not necessarily whether it's like it's a bit like you know. Uh, kind of things that nobody dislikes are the ones that get voted through so uh, yeah i mean i think you know that was a that was a an apex of a point where we were kind of you know completely hip i suppose that was the kind of the point so so you know there was a lot of voting for us and there was a lot of name checking but it didn't really translate to record sales or radio play you know so um that was that's what i mean about the kind of we were always looking for something else is that so we had this great critical acclaim but it was kind of almost like well yeah but we're not in the charts you know we're not playing you know we're not playing big big venues sort of thing you mentioned radio play and record sales i guess that leads in beautifully to the next album and the next single mm. wake up so you signed to creation mm. at a time where creation yeah. were obviously very big and then mm. we'll have to obviously have to talk about the wake up single which i heard last mm. week it was funny i obviously had you book for the podcast and i was walking past the bar mm. in liverpool street and i heard wake right. up blaring out and i kind of chuckled to mm. myself and i thought oh, it must be fate mm. that you're about to come on the yeah. podcast i mean uh, Any idea when you were recording that track and the album, the idea of how successful that was going to be? Because it felt that summer, mm, that was the only, that was one of mm, two songs that I would always hear on the radio at any given point, mm, at any station, at any time of day. Mm. Uh, I mean, it was it's really weird because, you know, talking about Giant Steps, I've just, I was just uh, on, on Twitter over the last couple of days. I've seen that it's 30 years since uh, one of the singles off Giant Steps, Wish It Was Skinny, was released. And it said that single got to number 75, you know, and it was quite good to read that because that was the arena that we were kind of dealing in, you know, and this was kind of, I guess, the pressure that we were getting. That It was kind of like, yeah, look, it's all very well having this acclaimed album, but your singles are getting to number 75, you know, and, and so part of the pressure was, Right, let's make a, a you know you got to make a single that's going to chart. You've got to make a chart single, and I think I think you know Martin as a songwriter kind of took on that challenge wholeheartedly and said, right, you want a fucking pop song, I'll give you a fucking pop song, and and kind of you know and 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 really I think that kind of it was almost done too well. You know, it was kind of it, it overshadowed everything else that we wanted to do and you know it may have been a lot better for us to have just kind of actually stuck with our guns and said actually sod you you know we but the problem is is that you know when people are talking about your chart position and stuff and your record company are talking about that you're thinking well you know if we don't do this are we going to have a record company you know so you sort of you have to sort of make these almost kind of god financial decisions you know about about your music so um yeah, it was a it was a weird time. To say. I mean, at the time we 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 enjoyed it, but we just didn't know that it was kind of going to overshadow everything else we did, really. Which was, um, you know, that's that was kind of a disappointment. Yeah, I mean, did you find it difficult to move on? I guess from the success of that track, then, because obviously more albums follow. But did, were you under pressure? Then, I guess to have another with the record company calling no, for another wake up. Or? We 
we we didn't really because we, because we just thought right brilliant we've done it you know we've done what's expected we've had a top 10 single lift off you know and so but but what we immediately thought was uh, is that we'll make an album that's more experimental and more kind of a bit out there you know with lots of influences and lots of adventures so we made come on kids and you know i, I think we were just a bit naive and probably a bit sort of i don't know not not misguided but what we did re- didn't really realize was that you know when the wake up album sold i don't know whatever it sold you know quarter of a million copies you know 200,000 of those we're never going to be interested in anything else but the wake up single you know and we didn't we, we thought oh brilliant so our next album 250,000 people are going to buy it so let's give them this amazing kind of extravaganza but of course that wasn't the nature of it you know that wasn't these people were buying that album for the wake up single and and really weren't interested in us as a band so you know i think we were a little bit naive about that but but the good thing was is that actually you know we we weren't affected by wake up we just did what we wanted to do we were kind of like okay look we've done a pop album we've done a big pop single now we want to do the next thing we want to make something different and you've done that and also done the Eggman album. How did, it, how, did, how did you find doing the Eggman album, I guess, going from a band environment into into a solo environment? Well, the bizarre thing was is that it still was a band environment. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't really a solo environment. It was a very strange little thing that I did, you know, I, I had these songs and, and somehow the idea came up that it should be a solo album. But but the bizarre thing was is that, you know, the the the, the Bradleys were all over it. You know, Rob played drums, Tim was on it, Martin was on it, and uh, I was getting creation people down from it, you know, 18-wheeler and Moose and, 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 and Ed Ball and just lots of different people. So it was a very quick thing really it was very quick it was done in a in a couple of weeks um and it was really fun but i remember it being quite sort of pressured i remember it being kind of right we haven't got very much time to do this we've got to get it done quickly but it was a it was a a really nice thing to do um it was but it but it was kind of um it was almost part and parcel of the Bradley's thing because it was just so it was creation so it was the same same stuff, and it was the booze down a you know down a studio that we already knew. So it didn't feel that different. And in the last Boo Radley's album in a while mm. came out in '98 with King Size. I think I've read a few mm. quotes from yourself saying by that time I think it had kind of run its course, and you were happy at that point for mm. it to kind of end as it did. Yeah, it was a shame, really, because I think you know, I think I look back and I think it was a shame because I think it's a great album, but I think I think we were tired, you know, we were tired and we were a little bit lost, and everything was dying, you know, uh, Britpop was dying, and Creation Records was going under, and uh, you know, the the kind of I guess enthusiasm was kind of going and it just seemed like it was time you know we were very we were all tired um i think tim had the sort of you know the main impetus to kind of keep going because he he loves the studio so he was down at the studio a lot working but i think the rest of us were a bit kind of um a bit jaded with it really and you know ideally what we should have done is take a break at that point but it just felt like it was you know we've always kind of you know, worship the Beatles. And so the whole thing was, is that look, when it's over, it's over, you stop. That was the what we believed. So that was the point that we said, okay, it's done, you know, we stop. And how did you find, I guess, not being in the Boo Radleys? Because you kind of went a bit quiet on the music front or kind of seemed to mm. step away from it. How did you find, I guess, the transition from going to album touring, obviously playing some big venues, festivals to kind of just taking the mm. step back? 
I, I was glad. I mean, I was really glad because I think I was just tired, you know. And I think, I think by two thousand and five, I think a sort of you know five year break, you know, I was I was probably ready to go back to it. But I think at that stage, and I did, you know, I did go back and make another kind of solo band album in in two thousand and five. But then I realised it really wasn't for me anymore, and I kind of needed something else. It didn't feel right. I had young children at that stage, and it just didn't feel right. So that was when I kind of took things in a different direction and thought, actually, you know, I need to do something else. So that's when I started to retrain as a psychologist. Um, and it was any sort of, you know, and I did that and didn't really get involved in music for sort of 12, 13 years after that, you know. So um, it was a it was a long time. Yeah. But it never it never really bothered me. Just it, it never wanted to be involved during that time. It's an amazing achievement to um, to be a psychologist. So I can only congratulate you for for, Thank you. for going back into it after because I I can't even mm. imagine the amount of work it's taken to to get to mm. where you are. But I guess twenty twenty one the B, the Boo Radleys reunited. I guess without Martin mm. was that off the back mm. of lockdown and being a bit older and being able to look back in a different view of the Boo Radleys. What what kind of drove the reuniting? It wasn't lockdown really. Lockdown kind of got in the way. What it was was, I think the year, I think 2018, something changed in me. Um, before that, I'd been, I'd had no interest in music. I, I just, I was running my private practice. I was a psychologist, and I was perfectly happy with that. And then something shifted in me. I started picking the guitar up again. I started playing at home. And I was saying to my daughter at the time, I was saying, you know, I might go out and busk because I kind of, I just actually enjoy playing and I kind of feel like I want to do it again so I was almost setting that up when um, an email came through from a guy called Jules Reed, who was running this thing in Oxford um, which isn't far from me uh, basically people from people from Liverpool play a solo showing at the Oxford Jericho Tavern and, and he asked me to do it and for the first time in years um, I thought do you know what I do want to do this so I did that and then I did a couple of other things and that kind of sparked it really Tim saw me play and I think he got you know I think he felt the bug bitten by the bug seeing me again so that was when we kind of got in touch and started writing songs and that's how it kind of started to started to sort of coalesce and started to get bigger it was never set off with an intention of anything really until suddenly uh you know we were working on these songs and suddenly it was like oh wow we've got an album you know what do we what do we do with this now and obviously you've released the first one since being reunited keep on with mm. failing i guess what was different about that album in terms obviously co-writers not there or the songwriter yeah yeah what was that i guess that's the biggest difference right or obviously recording mm. 20 years later what were the biggest differences mm. that you found well the big, the biggest difference was the method of recording you know obviously the biggest difference was was martin not being there but that also you know fell in with the method of recording so you know back in the day the way it would work was that you know we'd all have to kind of set off to a big studio somewhere and you'd spend day after day kind of working on the tracks and this wasn't like that this was more kind of you know chucking files backwards and forwards we live geographically very far tim lives in northern ireland rob's in manchester i'm down near oxford 
So we were basically sending tracks back and forward. And that what that meant was, is that it meant we were working in a very different way. So there wasn't any kind of uh, compulsion to work like there is in the studio. What we were instead doing is that at times when we had the energy and the time, we'd go and work on it on our own and put ideas down that we'd send back and forward. So it built very differently. And, and so the whole process was completely different to how it how it would have been uh, in the past. So that made it, you know, the fact that it was different songwriters, but actually, you know, it still very much sounds like the Boo Radleys. You know, that's one of the weird things is that, you know, you take out what, what I guess people thought was a crucial element and it still kind of pretty much still is the Boo Radleys. And, and I think that that would be the case. And recently you've just released your uh, latest album, Eight. So mm. congratulations, fantastic mm. album. Thank it still you. seems like it's very much full steam ahead for the Boo Radleys as as we look into the future. Yeah, I mean the, 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 that album and and um, you know it's, it's it's this year has been a sort of a mix of kind of looking forward and looking back. And you know one of the things that that, that we've sort of realised is how important the legacy is. We we did um, you know we did giant like I say it's been thirty years since Giant Steps. So in June we did a Giant Steps tour where we went out and we played that album in full, and that was incredible to see how much that album means to people and how much they. They loved it and actually it was great for us to play you know one of the things was I always thought you know I'm not really interested in revisiting this stuff but um but actually you know going out and playing it again was fantastic you know and and so so I think there'll be you know I think there'll be a full steam ahead element of, of kind of new stuff but also weaving in mm. that stuff that that is there from the past yeah obviously I guess wake up is the next one that will turn 30 years old at, uh, sooner mm. rather than later and obviously massive album and, mm. and a massive single so spoken about live dates but you've actually got a bit of a live tour coming up right so you're going on tour with cud yeah yeah that was um that was an idea that was put to us good about i don't know when it was six months ago or so of kind of look you, you these dates are there um would you want to do it and we were kind of you know i, I wasn't really familiar with cud very much um we, we played with them once back in the 90s but um our paths never really crossed but, you know, part of it was just like, yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we kind of we just want to go out uh, and play. And part of that appeal, part of that appeal is playing to another band's audience. You know, that people will come along and think, you know, hopefully there will be some Cud fans who are like, oh, I don't know about the Boo Radleys. And we get that opportunity to impress them. I always liked that. I always liked that kind of not necessarily having a captive audience, but kind of having to having to impress an audience, you know, that challenge of that and and knowing that you've got the the, the material that to, to do that was always a, a, a thing that I enjoyed. So hopefully it'll be a little bit like that. And so if anyone wants tickets for that, they can find tickets on any good ticketing platform. I think you're going to Islington yeah. Academy in early November. There's a few dates up and around yeah. the country. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we they start uh, I think twenty eighth of uh, October and then run through to third of November, I think. And also, if you weren't busy enough to take you back, you've also written a novel. So, being in a massive band, oh, yeah. being a psychologist and an author yeah. as well. So, I mean, you've achieved you've you've achieved an awful lot. Yeah, yeah. It does seem like that, and when you rattle that stuff off, it kind of <laughs> feels like it. But it, but it has been over a long period of time. You know, it has been that has been over. You know, thirty odd years. Yeah, I mean, I think you know uh, that was 
the the novel thing was just was something that I kind of did um, pretty much after the band had stopped. Actually, you know, I think uh, one of the things was it was a kind of way to sort of fill my uh, any downtime I'd had. Like we'd recently had a baby, and so you know, when he was asleep during the day for a couple of hours, it was something for me to to do with my time so I would sit and sort of write and, and it took a long time to get it into shape and and I thoroughly enjoyed it you know I thoroughly enjoyed having it there I think part of the thing was is that I did enjoy writing but then when I started actually training um, I had to do my undergraduate degree and then went on to do a doctorate for four years which involved so much writing that actually it, it completely almost burned me out in terms of writing you know that took over I probably would have written a lot more kind of fiction and stuff if if those seven years of of constant writing um, hadn't taken over, you know. And of course, people won't see that writing, but it was there. You know, I've got a kind of 60,000 60,000 word doctorate to account for it, you know. (laughs) Great stuff. So to take you back to the music, is there anything at the moment that you're listening to, whether that's a newer artist or an older artist, anything what's on your playlist or on your speakers at the moment? Um, at the moment, the, the album that I've sort of been drawn to that I quite like is James, James, uh, came out not long ago, James Yorkston's album, um, I forget what it's called, The Great White Eagle, um, uh, Great White Sea Eagle. I think that's, um, that's the, the one that I'm drawn to. But, um, I, I tend, artists are always a difficult one for me. Um, I'm not a huge artist fan. Uh, I think that what I am is a fan of songs. And I think, you know, the thing for me that I always really enjoy is kind of finding the new songs. So I really enjoy playlists. I really enjoy the radio, you know, and finding um, whether it's, you know, a new pop song or whether it's just an artist, you know, or an old track, just any of those things are kind of, that's why that's what I really like. So I always find it find it a difficult challenge when we're focused. You know, people say, "What artists do you like?" It's kind of like, well, there are some, but you know, I I, I kind of really like a, a a very diverse range of songs, and that that can be anything. You know, from the nineteen thirties to now. You know, so there is a, a vast vast amount to choose from. I always like taking my guests back to when they bought their first record. And that experience. Mm. Remember buying your first record and what that was? I do remember buying my first record. I mean, there were records probably bought for me. I think there were things like the Wombles and stuff that were probably bought (laughs) for me. But the record that I saw on top of the Pops that I wanted to buy and was taken to buy with my pocket money. And I don't know when this was really, so I'm probably eight, I think, was, was another brick in the wall by Pink Floyd. I remember seeing that on top of the Pops and just, you know, I think the whole thing of that. The music appealed, the video, I think the video very appealed because it was a cartoon um, and the whole refrain of, hey, teacher, leave those kids alone probably appealed. So that was, I remember that was the one that I wanted to, that was the single that I wanted to have. So that was the first one. Great single as well. So this podcast yeah. is all about you collating your fantasy festival. Are you a big fan of the festival? I mean, I'm, I'm presuming you've played many a festival, but are you a big fan of the festival? You know, it's really weird. I'm I'm quite ambivalent towards them. I do enjoy them being there, um, uh, but uh, but I think the whole three day thing. I like my creature comforts. Mm. You know, the whole three day thing <laughs> in a tent. No, I can't. I can't do it. You know, if I was able to do a festival and go back off to a nice house and come back and yeah, I would quite happily do it. But uh, I'm far too uh, I'm far too fond of my comforts to be able to kind of handle three days on a farm. You know. 
do you have any favourite festival experiences when you were when you were playing uh, back in the day or recently? Do you have any favourite festival experiences? I mean, the playing festivals was brilliant. I always loved playing festivals, but the, my my best my best experience watching was was uh, Reading in 1991 um, and that was sort of that was so exciting because we kind of went for the first time when we were in a band we didn't play or did we play no I don't think we did play but we had backstage passes um, someone had got us backstage passes and so there was the whole you know we, 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 then the most amazing thing was is that I watched Nirvana right down the bill you know this was before they went absolutely global this was before sort of just before to, uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit was released and I remember watching Nirvana sort of did, right down the bill on on Reading Festival on the main stage before Chapter House before other people but there was Nirvana and they were absolutely incredible and I remember kind of that that's one of the sort of treasured memories from a festival playing festivals i think you know we did a lot because we actually did a Lollapalooza tour in america and that was very very strange but very very fascinating to do and i you know i've got a lot of really good memories from from that as well you know playing in the absolute blazing heat in the desert and you know open to the sun was just like the most bizarre experience but um but all good yeah good yeah, sounds incredible. So, like I said mm. at the top of the podcast tonight, Dr. Sars gets to collate his fantasy festival. So, for any first time listeners, the podcast format is very simple. Dr. Sars gets to choose any five acts, one of whom must play one of their studio albums in full. And he also gets to pick an encore, which can be any track from any artist that all of his five acts can perform together to close his fantasy festival. So, five acts take five time slots. And like I mentioned, I had Matt Wilson on from Apollo Junction. And last week, he collated his Ready for the Launch Fantasy Festival. He had Madness as his opening act. In his Super Seconds act, he had Daft Punk. Midway Madness, he picked the Smiths. In his pre-headline act, for the first time ever, U2 got picked for a fantasy festival. And for his headline act, he picked the Beatles and had all five of his act play God Only Knows to complete his fantasy festival lineup. So a very simple concept. But before we talk about the acts who are going to make your fantasy festival lineup, we have to give your fantasy festival a name and we have to give yeah. it a venue. So Dr. Sice, what are you going to call your fantasy festival? Uh, this is called Dr. Sice's Musical Extravaganza, and egg spelled E-G-G. Uh, <laughs> I love what you've done there. And we can hold this yeah. anywhere in the world that you want to. We can hold it near Oxford. We can hold it uh -huh. UK, America, Australia. Wherever you want to hold this, we will follow you gladly. Uh -huh. So where are we going to hold your fantasy festival? So this is going to be held at the, uh, the Floral Pavilion Theatre in New Brighton. I don't even know whether it's still open, but it's open in my mind because this was when I first went. Uh, my dad used to be into amateur dramatics. And so this was like the first taste of music I ever got live music. And it was, you know, I remember being a tiny kid, but this Flora Pavilion Theatre was just like the magical place. And, um, and, and you know, in my memory, it's just this. It's probably a shithole, but it, <laughs> in my memory, it was this kind of complete magical, wonderful place with a stage and all the arrangements seats and everything and the ashtrays in the back of the seats and all that kind of stuff from the 1970s so that that's the place that I, I want it to be held an indoor festival beautiful can't be an indoor festival so that's where we go into mm -hmm. the floor pavilion theater in new brighton so before we talk about your five acts i know how mm -hmm. difficult it is to get down to five there's many an act who mm -hmm. would easily make your fantasy festival up if there were more any acts who you want to shout out who you love but just aren't getting into your fantasy festival lineup 
Yeah, the ones the ones that I would have loved to have tra- sort of squeezed in because I would want to see them. Well, one I, I went for Nirvana, you know, because I think they're just you know an incredible incredible live act, and um, and I would have you know having seen them you know right at their prime, I would have I would have, I would want to see them again. The other one that I never got to see, a band that I really really loved throughout the the very early eighties when I just got into music, was the Stray Cat. And again, you know, I'd want to see, you know, Brian Setz is such an incredible guitar player that I would kind of really want to see that up close and personal. And I guess the other one that I thought that I would really love to have seen um, is Ray Charles. I would have loved to have seen the sort of whole Ray Charles experience and and, um, and that would, but, but they, they they unfortunately didn't didn't fit in those time slots. So maybe next year. Maybe next year when the extravaganza comes back for its second inclination. Mm-hmm. All right, so we've mentioned some great acts who aren't coming with us. It's time to go for the five who are. So two o'clock, Floor Pavilion Theatre, New Brighton, absolutely rammed. Everyone's eagerly anticipating your first act, Dr. Sice. So who's going to open yeah. Dr. Sice's musical extravaganza? Well, I've gone for Kate Bush because uh, I, I think she's absolutely incredible. I mean, I think she's just, you know, over time she's just proved herself to be, uh, you know, absolute icon and somebody who's kind of never been, never been, there's never been anybody coming close to what she does, her invention. And I've never got to see it. You know, I, I, when she did the sort of showings in London a few years ago, I would have loved to have seen it. Um, so she, I think she fits the bill to kind of open the whole thing off. I think it would be really exciting to see Kate. That's a great shout. The third time, or only the third time she's been picked for a fantasy festival lineup. So she's back on the oh, bill. Okay. Any song she only gets an hour. Any songs that she yeah. has to play for you that are an essential part of a Kate Bush set that you would have well, to have. I, I mean, I, I, I think that you know, with, with her, I think cloud busting is one that you know that absolutely sort of. Um, got hold of me and and I was really in love with that song but but actually you know really I'd say Kate can choose what she wants you know that I would love to hear it but she can absolutely choose what she wants she is um you know I don't get to dictate <laughs> so Kate Bush opening act she's going to give us an hour of her time it's going to be brilliant we'll take a half hour break that'll take us half past three it's time for your super seconds act so Dr Size who are you going to have as your super seconds act well, I, I'm going to go for Prince again because it's somebody that I would have loved to have seen. You know, I've not, I've, I never saw. And I think, you know, I think the thing about it is that it's the, the aspect of it that I would really love is just that show. You know, he would just put on such a show. He's such an incredible showman, incredible musician. And, you know, he could choose any incarnation of his bands and people that he went with. Um, again, I'll kind of leave it to him. But, um, you know, I think that that sort of that following following Kate, I think he would see that as a kind of challenge. And, uh, and, and, um, and I'd love to see what he would do with that slot. And he's got, you know, the wealth of material to, to cover that. He certainly has. That's a very, very stellar lineup we've got. So for our opening two acts, we've got Prince and Kate Bush, a very strong start to the Fantasy Festival. So Prince plays from half past three to half past four. We'll take another half hour break and that'll take us to our Midway Madness slot. So Dr. Sars, who's going to be your Midway Madness act? Well, this is a very personal one, and it's a bit—it's a total fantasy one. But I would, and this is the one that I—I I would like to have an album played in full. This is this is Nick Drake. I've you know I've absolutely loved Nick Drake ever since I, I've kind of ever since I heard him, and and you know it, this is definitely a fantasy one because notoriously you know he never he didn't really play live a lot. 
you know, it was notoriously difficult. And so I think I would love to give Nick the opportunity to recreate Brighter Later. The whole way through, you know, it's it's a very sort of lush album. There are a lot of strings. There's a lot of kind of brass. There's a lot of, there's backing vocalists. So I would want to give him the opportunity to be sort of backed properly and put that put that album out. You know, there are a lot of other musicians, you know, who were, who, who, John Cale and stuff, who, who featured on that um, album. So I'd love them to be there playing it with him. Great shout. That's what we're doing. Only the second time Nick Drake's been called up for a fantasy oh, well. festival. I feel like Nick Drake is somewhat of an enigma because there's not actually that much material out there and there's not very little like video no. content. So someone who's probably no. much bigger than what he is, but there's just not much that you can delve into, I guess, for a casual fan. Well, that's part of the part of the uh, the appeal. I think is the is the mystery of that. You know, is that kind of you know how did this kind of young guy um, from a, a fairly sort of ordinary background, if you will, kind of came out and produced three three kind of astonishing albums, and then and then you know famously uh, talking about mental health early. You know, he really struggled with depression. You know, there's, there's a there's been a new book out, um, a biography, really, which is which is heartbreaking to to read. You know, his struggle with it, and finally, you know, he, he succumbed and, and and lost his life, and which is you know a huge huge shame because he was really a massive musical talent, and and so you know I think people are are really tr- sort of trying to make do with what is available there because there isn't there isn't a lot. You know, there's no footage of him playing live. You know, there is no video footage of him at all. As, a, as an adult so it's kind of you know there's a there's a mystery there absolutely okay great shout so nick drake's going to give us an hour for midway madness and play brighter later we'll take a half hour break so three acts down two acts left so next act is your pre-headline act who so get to play from half past six to eight o'clock so who is going to be your pre-headline act well the the I mean, I, I, this, these, these set lengths are quite long and, and this sort of really influenced my choices because, you know, there are plenty of people that I could kind of pick and think, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing them for half an hour or whatever, but I, I actually don't like long sets. You know, I kind of get quite bored. Like I said, I like a lot of variety. So the, one of the only people I think who could fill that hour and a half and be absolutely rammed with it is Stevie Wonder. So, um, you know, I would, for the same reason that I would go for Prince, you know, Stevie Wonder is just somebody whose kind of musicality just absolutely blows me away. You know, he kind of, you know, changed the face of a lot of music in the, in the, in the 1970s and, and, um, and so, so many good songs, you know, for him to choose from that he could actually, you know, fill that slot and still be wanting more, you know. So I think that has been so important um, in, in terms of kind of choosing somebody who can really fill that hour and 30. Great shout. Stevie Wonder, his fifth Fantastical appearance, going to be your pre-headline It's going to be a fantastic uh, pre-headline act. Again, we'll take a half-hour break, and that will leave us for a headline act who get to close your fantasy festival. We're going to play from half-past mm. eight to 11 o'clock so you've had an amazing first four acts Dr Sice but who's going to headline Dr Sice's musical extravaganza well again following on from that kind of thing of who who would I want to watch for two and a half hours without getting bored and be thrilled with every element of it and, and I'm sure this one has been a huge amount of times and it's going to have to be the Beatles it's going to have to be you know if it, I would be being disingenuous if I tried to think of somebody a bit more obscure or this kind of thing because actually you know if I had to do that if I had to watch for two and a half hours it wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want it to be anybody else you know I'd be absolutely thrilled to kind of to see that happen you know and I think you know for me it's 
I really hope it is going to kind of happen soon in that I kind of, I, I went to see, you know, talking about fantasy festivals, I went to see Abba Voyage and just seeing the kind of, okay, this is where this is going to go. And actually, you know, it's not going to be long before the Beatles are kind of back on stage in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of artificial reality, you know, that's that's going to be the creation. So um, it was interesting. So it kind of made me think, actually, yeah, that's that's what people are absolutely crying out for. And I guess that's what, you know, that's what I want as well. Great shout. So the Beatles, only the ninth time they've been picked. So Only the ninth. Picked okay. like, I mean, that's one of the great things about this podcast. I guess you have in your mind mm. all these classic acts are going to be picked every week, but they don't as much as what I guess you'd imagine they would do but they've had two headline mm-hmm. slots in a row they're going to play from half past eight to eleven o'clock then at eleven o'clock they're going to bring back on stage Stevie Wonder Nick Drake Prince and Kate Bush you've got an amazing wealth of talent on your stage and they're all going to play one song to close your fantasy festival and it's up to mm-hmm. you what song they're going to play for you so Dr Sass what are you going to have uh, as your encore for your fantasy festival well, I think this is probably one of the greatest pop records ever made, and I would just love to hear. I mean, Stevie could probably do it on his own, and as could Prince, um, as could the Beatles. But um, I would love to hear how they kind of all put it together. This is "I Want You Back" by the Jackson Five, um, which I think is just one of the greatest pop songs ever written, and, and you know, and, and I, it cannot. I can't sit still as soon as I hear it. You know, it just makes you move, and it's just so full of kind of joy of music it's absolutely incredible so i'd love to hear everybody there kind of how they how they brought that to the stage that would be amazing that would be amazing i think prince is going to have the time of his life playing the intro into that with stevie wonder coming in on the keys (laughs) i think you've got i think you've got absolutely nailed it (laughs) so let's lock it in in dr size we've got dr size's musical extravaganza taking place Mm -hmm. at the floral pavilion theater in new brighton opening at kate bush Super seconds, we have Prince. Midway Man has got Nick Drake playing his brighter later album. Pre-headline acts, Stevie Wonder. Headline acts, The Beatles. And for your encore, they're all going to play I Want You Back. Sounds like an amazing fancy festival lineup to me. Are you happy with that one to lock that one into our fantastic awards? Oh, absolutely, yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> I only, I'm just disappointed that I don't get to see it now. I really want to see it. I know. Well, hopefully, you know, the way technology's going, maybe in 10 years we can bring these fantastivals yeah. to life and have it happen in front of us. That would be a... That would be quite something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so before Incredible. we wrap this up then, obviously you've got the upcoming tour with Cud. It's going mm. to be great. What does the future look like after that? I guess what, what, what are your terms personally and I guess for the, for the Boo Radleys? Um, the Boo Radleys, uh, not sure yet actually. You know, we, we know we'll be doing stuff next year, but we're not actually sure what yet. We've got to kind of have a bit of a meeting and decide what it is that we want to do, um, how where it is that we've got to go. We will definitely do more live dates because um, we've been loving that. So we're just mm-hmm. we're just going to sort of talk about what format that might take. Um, personally, um, you know, I'll continue to do my day job as psychologist but um the one thing that i want to do individually is is you know the, the show that i've got the secret of happiness which is a one-man show um with music and comedy and mental health i want to take that on the road more because that's something that you know it, that brings together the two things that i'm really passionate about and kind of you know i get to talk about psychology i get to talk about mental health i get to talk about music and i get to play music and really you know I, i've done sort of about 10 dates of that so far um and, and i'll want to do more of that next year so that'll be my personal goal to do more of those and um i, I really love doing that 
Brilliant. I look forward to, to hearing all about that and seeing that on social media in the future. So to shout yeah. out your social media, if anyone wants to keep on top of their news or your news, and if they don't already follow you, where can people find you, Dr. Sice, and what, what are your handles? I haven't got, if, they, if they look up Dr. Sice Boo Radley's, they'll find that. You know, Boo Radley's uh, or Dr. Sice, um, Dr. Sice Boo Radley's, they're, they're, they're the handles. Um, I haven't kind of got the actual <laughs> But yeah, but you'll, you'll find them. You'll find me. You'll find him. He is out there. So that's it, everyone. Thank you for listening to the 142nd episode of the Fantastical Podcast. If you've enjoyed this one, please subscribe. You can give the Fantastical Podcast a review on iTunes. You can give the podcast a follow on spotify and you can also comment uh, on the show so you can actually comment on this episode so if you've enjoyed it please let us know on spotify and tell all your family and friends about the podcast dr size is on twitter so are we we are on twitter at fantastical p you can find us there and you can also give us an email at fantastical podcast at outlook.com Unfortunately, we don't play music on this podcast, but I'll get some tracks from Dr. Sice. We'll make a nice little playlist of the acts that he's chosen and maybe whack in a few more tracks. Uh, and all you have to do is scroll down in your episode description. There'll be a nice little link in the episode description. That'll take you to a lovely little playlist that we'll make up. So I must say a huge thank you, Dr. Sice, my 142nd fantastical podcast guest. I've really enjoyed talking to you. How have you found it? Fantastic. Absolutely. Well, yeah, fantastical. Um, you know, I've really enjoyed it, really enjoyed it. And it was a great thing to be able to, you know, to sit there and think, wow, who would I have? Who would I have? That was absolutely brilliant. So I loved it. Thank you very much. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I just can't get the idea of Prince now and Stevie Wonder jamming that intro <laughs> out of my head all night. It's going to be in my head all night. But best of luck for the future. I look forward to seeing yes. how the tour goes and how the rest of the year shapes out for you. So I'll be back next week with episode number 143. So please make sure to join me for that one. But until then, stay safe, my fantastical friends. Please continue to spread the word. And that word is fantastical. Thanks for listening.